everyone. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Saturday the 14th. Here we are. I'm Maddie. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to talk to you about Get Out. Get Out. Oscar Academy Award winner Get Out. Yes. Congratulations to Jordan Peele. We're so excited. We are. It's a really good movie. It definitely deserved the win. Uh, honestly, I'm really excited. Obviously, it's huge that he's the first uh, black screenwriter to win for um, the best original screenplay. Which is amazing. I'm also so excited that a horror movie won an Oscar because I feel like genre films really get ignored a lot. It's been a while. I think the last one to get nominated for Best Picture was The Sixth Sense, if I'm remembering correctly. That sounds right. Um, I know Shape of Water, technically, some people consider it a horror movie. I would say that's, I mean, I haven't seen it. So I'm sure that there are horror elements. I think it's more like sci-fi fantasy. Yeah, it's like, like magical as realism. As Guillermo de yeah. um, movies usually are. Yeah, he tends kind of towards that side of things. Yeah. And like Pan's Labyrinth, for example, I wouldn't call a horror movie. No, I think it has horror elements. Definitely. it's an outright horror. I do love that, that a genre film also won Best Picture. Because I do love sci-fi and I do love fantasy as well. And so it made me really happy to see that, like, you know, there was a more diverse group of candidates, which is really cool. And then um, a horror film won for Best Original Screenplay and a sci-fi film. And won I actually for... saw a tweet the day before the Oscars that said that a lot of older Academy members were just discounting Get Out because of the fact they said it wasn't an Oscar movie. I saw that, too. People were referring to it as, like, a B-movie. Yeah, so I saw, like, a, a tweet or a, an article where they were talking about the Academy members, and they talked about Get Out being, like, a good B-movie. It's a really good, well-done movie. Yeah, and here's the thing. Like, a B-movie, I think people tend to consider B like a rating of a movie. It's not. It doesn't have anything to do with the quality of the movie, although it usually means that it was a lower budget movie because all it means is it's the second, like it's a movie that would have been partnered with a more, a movie that was more likely to be commercially successful. So you had your A movie and your B movie and at a double feature you would see both. And so something like an A movie could be, I don't know, like... Gone with the Wind, although no one would see a double feature of Gone with the Wind and something else because Gone Way with too the long. Wind is three I was trying long. to think of like a really crappy Marvel movie. Yeah, it could be like Thor 2 is the yeah. A movie because everyone's going to go see it. And then really commercially successful, really fun, not really an Oscar-worthy movie. Yeah, I mean, there are B-movies that were literally B-movies at the time when people were still doing that that people consider to be classics. And some of them they consider cult classics, but yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, it doesn't fit the mold of B-movie. It's literally not a B-movie. And I think if the writing were different, I think if the acting wasn't quite as fantastic as it is. But honestly, every part of it is so good. Like, it doesn't have a huge budget, but it is beautifully shot, beautifully written. The soundtrack is incredible. They got recognizable faces. Look, Bradley Whitford's not in a B-movie, you guys. Bradley Whitford is famous. Allison Williams is famous. Daniel Kaluuya, he's famous now. Like, he wasn't as famous then, but, But like... even then, he was known a little bit for his role in Black Mirror. Yeah, like, Catherine Keener's in it. Like, they have a great cast, and that's not something that you... It's just not a B-movie. It's just not what it is. Yeah, I went into the Oscars really worried that it wouldn't win anything, despite the fact that it definitely deserved something. Like, I would have loved to see it get Best Picture. Um, I haven't seen Shape of Water. I've heard that it's not as deserving of Best Picture as some of the other nominations. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure how it compares directly to Get Out, but I loved it. I would have loved it to win Best Picture. Me too. Honestly, even screenplay is really fantastic for it. So I'm pleased. Congratulations, Jordan Peele. This is a really exciting time. so well earned. It's so good. And uh, hopefully on the next one, he can clean up. Hell yeah. And sweep him. 
I'd love to see more Jordan Peele movies. He's going to make more. He's talked a lot about how he wants good. to make more like social horrors. Okay, good. In because this genre. I think it did have a lot of really good commentary. Yeah. Um, which brings us to a point that I want to make um, for this do. general podcast. Um, I know you can't see us. Uh, we are both white girls. We are. We don't have groundbreaking thoughts about the symbolism behind Get Out. Um, we wanted to do this episode because we love the movie, because it's, a, I think, one of the best horror movies that's come out in probably the past 10 years. Um, and not only that, but there's a lot of tiebacks to old horror movies. There's yeah. a lot of commentary that's been spoken about in the press. Um, Jordan Peele's come out and talked about, like, this is what I meant by this symbolism. Yeah. So Jordan Peele is obviously a huge fan of the genre, and he does an amazing job incorporating those themes into this. Um so we're more going to be discussing the things that have been outright said by Jordan Peele. Yeah, we don't want you to think these are like our hot takes. No. <laughs> or like our thoughts about how racism works, because we're not the resource for that. But we do want to still like pay tribute to what is a fantastic movie yeah. and kind of go deeper into some of the things that a lot of articles have been written about, but kind of collect all the different information that's out there into a podcast and explore all the different themes. In addition to this, um, up on our website, we're going to be throwing up all of the links and the articles, the interviews, everything that we kind of used as resources for this episode. Um, you should definitely check them out because there is an unbelievable wealth of information on this movie. And I fell down like a huge hole. Yeah, um, there's so many it. different Easter eggs and like hidden meanings in this that I had no idea or that I didn't like notice until the second or third time that I watched it. Yeah, I think this is one of the first ones where like we've both done, you know, research for all of our, our previous episodes. But I think this is the first time where we were like sending each other links back and forth and being like, oh, did you see this thing? Oh, did you see this thing? I and, was like, literally sending Maggie links about it while watching the movie. Yeah. And like before we even sat down to record this, when we were just hanging out beforehand, we literally spent like an hour almost talking about like cool shit that we heard about it or that we saw about it um so that being said why don't we get into it let's do it up so this is get out this is a 2017 um movie written and directed by the incredible jordan peele starring daniel kaluuya Allison Williams, Lil Rel Howery, Bradley Whitford, and Katherine Keener. It was made on a budget of around $4.5 million and ended up bringing in over $200 million, around $255 million total. So this is that same thing that we see time and time again, where horror is an incredible return on an investment. It is. R-O-I-C. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what that means. Return I... on invested capital. All right. I went to film school, so I don't know how to do anything. I don't really know how to do ROIC. Which is not a slight against other people who it's just took a film. I just don't know how to do it. That is said a lot in my finance class, so I feel like I should say it a lot. I don't know. I sound impressive when I talk about it until I explain that I don't actually know what it means. Yeah, you got to stop before that point in the future. Sorry, I mean, ROIC. <laughs> in terms of subgenre, which I know is something that we discuss a lot. Um, I've kind of seen a change in this more recently, I think especially with the Oscar nomination. Um, when it first came out, I heard a lot of people referring to this as like a comedy horror or like a black comedy. It does like, have some comedic elements It definitely it. does. Jordan Peele is hilarious. Lil Rel is a very funny actor. He was the, one of the best parts of this movie. movie. Yeah. Incredible. And like, you know, Bradley Whitford's funny. Like, there's a funny cast here. Yeah. Um, I have a big dumb crush on Bradley Whitford, and I have since West Wing, so if I mention <laughs> him, like, a disproportionate amount in this... He's turning into, like, a silver fox, though, now. Like, I know he's very terrible in this movie, like, as a person. Anyway, so... 
a lot of people do refer to this as like a black comedy or a comedy horror. Um, and I don't think that that's really necessarily the case. And one of the things that I've heard Jordan Peele refer to it as um, in terms of subgenre, which I think is more appropriate, is it's a social horror where, yeah, there are comedic elements, but the main point of it is that it's taking like a social interaction or a social situation and it's um, infusing that with like a straight up horror story. So I kind of wanted to touch on that. I don't think that people would say that if Jordan Peele wasn't known for Key and Peele. And if he wasn't known as a comedic uh, actor and writer, I don't think people would be referring to it as that quite as much. I think that makes a lot of sense, yeah. But there are other funny horror movies. I mean, Stay Alive has some hilarious moments Man, in it. Man, we gotta do Stay Alive. Yeah. I think Jordan Peele meant these moments to be funnier more than whoever wrote Stay Alive meant them to be you funnier. You don't think that Frankie Muniz busting into a room with a rose bush in e- each hand was intended to be funny? I mean, I think it's intended to be the most romantic thing that could ever happen to a girl. But no, I don't think it was intended to be funny. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, going back to Get Out, um, do you want to kick off our summary? Yeah, so um, we start off by seeing a young guy named Andre Hayworth, which we actually don't find out until a little bit later. But still, he's like walking around on the phone. Yeah, so he's walking through this um, obviously wealthy neighborhood, talking on the phone, whoever he's talking on the phone to, he's complaining that he's like on the wrong street because all the names are like pretty much the same and it's like a maze and he can't Yeah, he actually refers to it as a hedge maze, which is Easter egg number one. There's lots of Shining references in this movie. Yeah, this movie is chock full of references to The Shining. Jordan Peele apparently really likes The Shining. He does. Um, So anyway, so he's walking around. He sees this little white Porsche, I think, pull up next to him and stop. And he's like, oh, that's weird, but whatever. And he starts walking the other way because the guy's kind of acting creepy. Yeah. And um, has this really creepy song playing. Yeah. It's, like it's Run, old. Rabbit, Run. Yeah. And it's blasting. And he's like kind of slowing down right next to him. And so he's like, okay, fuck this. I'm just going to turn around and go the other way. And the car turns around and follows him. And you see as he's walking away, this guy in a knight's helmet get out of the car, run up behind him with a lacrosse stick and choke him and drag him into the car uh, and then drives away and Run Rabbit Run is still playing. And that's the opening scene, and it's super scary. <laughs> <laughs> and then it cuts to some really great dramatic music. You see kind of shots of a forest, and then we meet Chris, meet Chris who is packing to get ready for a vacation with his girlfriend. Yep, so that's played by Daniel Kaluuya. Yes. And he's going to go home with his white girlfriend, mm-hmm. who's played by Allison Williams, yes. and her name is Rose. Rose Armitage. Yep. And so he's going home with her, and they're kind of talking about how he is nervous because, like, does her family know that he's black? Right, and they don't. Yeah. Is what she tells him. She's like, well, why would they need to know? And, and he's like, <laughs> come on. Yeah. <laughs> so... Clearly, he's a little nervous about it, um, but they go, and they're driving up to her parents' house, and on the way, they hit a deer. Yeah. So they're talking on the phone, like, they're having a good time, chatting with his friend, Rod, who was watching his dog at home. After they hang up with him, yeah, they hit a deer. It goes flying off into the woods. It doesn't die right away, so he gets out of the car, and he's sort of watching it die in the woods. And they're trying to figure out what to do, and she calls the cops, I guess, um, or, like, roadside assistance. And so a police officer rolls up. And the police officer talks to them and wants to get IDs from both Rose and Chris. And Chris wasn't driving, and so Rose, like, throws a fit saying, like, why would you need to take that from him? Like, it kind of accuses the police officer of racially profiling Chris. Right. And that's why he needs the ID. Shuts him down. And 
Chris doesn't end up giving his ID and then they continue on to the house and they get there. So they get to the house, they meet um, Rose's parents, uh, Dean, who is a neurosurgeon, and Missy, who is a hypnotherapist, and they're played by um, my true love, Bradley Whitford, and my other true love, Catherine Keener, respectively. So they're they're hanging out and Dean is doing all of the like super lame, like I would have, like the the phrase from the movie is I would have voted for Obama for a third term. Yeah. Um, which gets quoted a lot. And like all of that other stuff where like he's obviously acting different around Chris because he's black. Oh, it's so obvious. It. Yeah. yeah. It's super weird, super uncomfortable. Um, they go out and they have some iced tea on the veranda and uh, Missy notices that Chris is like, like tapping. fidgeting. Yeah, yeah, he's like tapping or fidgeting or whatever. And she's like, oh, do you smoke? And, and he he's like, that he does. Yeah, but he's trying to quit. And like on the way up, um, Rose had taken a cigarette and like snapped it and thrown it out the window when he tried to smoke up. And so she, the mom, Missy, offers to hypnotize Chris in order to rid him of his smoking habit. Because they keep talking about how it's really bad for his body and all that. Yeah. And they don't want him to be smoking around Rose. Yeah. Is one of their big complaints. And Dean claims that she completely cured him of, of his smoking habit and now he won't even look at a cigarette anymore. And so during this conversation, they're like sipping their iced tea. The weird housekeeper. Serv- yeah, the housekeeper comes over. Georgina. She's, um, all of the servants are black. The family is white. All the servants are black. The two. The t- yeah, okay, there's only two. So yeah, there's the kind of housekeeper Georgina, mm-hmm. and then there's the guy who guess does like the yard work and yeah, stuff like, like that. Yeah, like the groundskeeper, um, whose name is... Walter. Yep, so Georgina and Walter. And the whole story is that... They were hired to take care of the grandparents because they were really sick. And after the grandparents died, they decided to keep them around because they didn't know what else to do. They didn't want to get rid of them. Right. So they, they keep them around. But they, they act weird. Like, during the really weird movie, people, like, yeah. she is, like, staring at him really hardcore um, while she's serving the drinks and, like, completely overfills his glass. There's actually a reason for that, which we'll talk about later, okay. that I thought was so interesting. Okay, I want to hear that. Yeah. And so also, um, yeah, Walter's so, just kind of yeah. stares at them when they actually initially pull up to the house. It's yeah. just, like, a weird vibe. It is really strange. And so during this, like, little outdoor tea party, her brother comes home, Rose's brother comes home. Okay, Jeremy. does he look like a American broy version of Rupert Grant a little bit to you? Kind of, but like with a methier vibe. Yeah, like a very strong. That's what I meant by American. <laughs> we are famous for our love of methamphetamine, aren't we? Um, so he shows up and he's like a nightmare. Oh my god! Like everyone else is like cringy, and he's just like a fucking jerk. Yeah. Like, he gets hammered at dinner, and they're all sitting around swabbing these stories, and he keeps trying to get Chris to, like, fight him. Yeah, because he's like, you know, you'd be an amazing at MMA fighting. Yeah, and Chris is like, I'm a photographer, so I don't want to do that. Good, thanks. (laughs) And he, like, very diplomatically, Chris is like, no, no, like, I don't fight drunk dudes, like, not interested in doing that. And there's a whole comment about, like, staying three steps ahead. In, yeah, like, he's, like, talking about mentally. how judo, I think? Because one of them is talking about jujitsu, and one of them is talking about judo. I think... Chris used to take jujitsu and for like when he was like yeah, seven like when or he was something a child. like that. So he's talking about how with judo you have to stay three steps ahead of everybody because it's less like a fight and more like a chess game. Very interesting. Yeah. So he makes an ass out of himself at dinner. Um, and then Chris and Rose retire to their bedroom and she's like, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize they were going to be like this. Oh, and when they were sitting outside, uh, her dad mentions the party this weekend. 
Yeah, so there's a whole big party that the grandfather threw every year, and now it's happening again. Yeah, and he's like, kind of like, what the fuck? Like, I didn't know this was going to happen. She's like, I'm so sorry. I completely forgot about it. I didn't realize it was this weekend, but it's happening the next day. So they go to sleep, and in the middle of the night, Chris wakes up um, needing a cigarette, so he goes downstairs and goes outside to smoke and sees Walter just running straight at him at full speed. Yeah, the whole thing is weird because he's like outside to begin with and he sees Georgina acting really weird. Oh yeah, he looks up into the window and sees her like staring out the window really intensely and then it shows that she's like fixing her bangs and then it cuts inside so you can see she's like looking at her own reflection like just fixing her hair. But still really odd. Yeah, and then so he's standing outside and he's smoking a cigarette and Walter comes running at him. And then like right before getting to him turns. Yeah, but he doesn't like acknowledge him or anything like that. It's really bizarre. It's real odd. So he goes back inside and runs into Missy. Who's sitting in her creepy study. And drinking tea with like a little spoon. Yeah. And she's like, oh, were you smoking? And he's like, yep, you caught me. And she's like, that's my baby. Do you smoke around her? Like, let me just hypnotize you and then you won't do it anymore. And he's like, I don't really want that to happen but like but tell they me end more up about talking it. and she just starts asking questions about his childhood and yeah. ends up in the process hypnotizing him and so uh, yeah so he tells her all about his mom who died in a car crash uh she was hit uh, in a hit and run and she died by the side of the road and he knew that she was running late but he didn't call the cops or anything like that and so he feels very guilty yeah he just wanted to kind of pretend everything's going to be okay because he was scared that if he like called the cops then it would make it real yeah because he was like 11 yeah he was really young um and it's completely understandable but he has a lot of guilt surrounding this yeah so it kind of ties back to the whole deer in the beginning of the movie yeah and so over the course of the the evening while they're like sitting there talking she's running her spoon around the inside of her teacup and it's making this little scraping noise. And she does the same thing during the iced tea scene where you can hear, like, just in the background of the conversation and it turns out that that's what she's doing as a repetitive motion to hypnotize him. And so the idea that I mentioned earlier is that Georgina, because she'd been hypnotized at some point, she was accidentally, like, hypnotized for a second and kind of went blank and that's why she over-poured the iced tea earlier. Oh! So that's what that was referencing. I didn't even notice that. That's so cool. Yeah. Oh, I like that. And so that's why she's out of it. And they're like, hey, Georgina. And like, they snap her back out of it when she stops like doing the thing with the spoon. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I didn't notice that at all. Yeah. So I just didn't want to spoil it to her. Yeah. Well, I mean, if if you haven't listened to this, you should go watch the movie because we're going to spoil all of it right now. True. (laughs) Um, So she hypnotizes him and he's like no, that's okay. And she's like, sink into the floor. And he's like, what are you talking about? Oh, and she goes, yeah. now sink. And he like freezes up. And it's that iconic scene where it's just him sitting in the chair and like the tears are falling out of his eyes. And it's an incredible shot. And apparently he can just do that. That's amazing. Which is And unreal. he also, like it shows him kind of falling through this black space. Yeah. And then he sits at the bottom and he looks up like basically through a television screen like when he was a kid. Yeah, because he was the watching television. cartoons while his mom was... And she's like, now you're in the sunken place. Yeah. And then he wakes up. And then he wakes up in the morning. There's cat noises in the background, all of this shit. I'm I'm sorry. sorry. There's nothing we can do about it. My cat's going through a rebellious teenage phase. (laughs) And part of that involves playing with everything at all times of the day. Nice. So he wakes up in the morning and he's like, oh, that was a really weird dream. Like, super strange, whatever. 
Um, he goes to get his phone. His phone's been unplugged in the middle of the night, so he plugs it back in and he goes outside. Um, he also like picks up a cigarette, like he wants it. Yeah, and then, and then he does like, I don't really want this. And he says to Rose, "It's like I think your mom might have hypnotized me last night, yeah, but I don't really like, remember what happened." Yeah, and she's like, "That's really weird. I'm sorry." Um, but he's like, "Okay, so like he kind of assumes that part of it was real, and then the rest of it he dreamed." So he goes outside before the party and he sees Walter, who's chopping wood. And the interaction is really, really weird because like he goes up to Walter and he's like, "Oh man, they got." you working really hard and Walter turns around with like this creepy smile and he's like it's nothing I don't want to be doing anyway and he talks in this really weird affected tone and he's like hey I'm so sorry about last night like I didn't mean to startle you I was just doing my exercise and Chris is like shit so that was real like all that stuff actually happened and just like the entire tone of the interaction with Walter is really weird because he's like oh yes Rose is a lovely girl isn't she like so like it's just all creepy and he's like okay I'm gonna go oh and also Walter like mentions that he saw him in Missy's office yeah and that's when he's like officially confirmed like yes I was hypnotized yeah that was really happening and I was it wasn't just like a momentary thing it was like a long extended thing Um, he also goes upstairs and his phone is unplugged again like you said and Missy comes in not Missy Rose comes in and he's like, hey, I think Georgina unplugged my phone. She's like, why would she do that? And he says she might not like the fact that we're together. Yeah. And so they don't really go into Rose like blows it off. Yeah. She's like, whatever, it's fine. And they don't really go into like much past that. And at some point he also mentions that he thinks that Walter might be like into Rose or something. And she's like, that's ridiculous. Like, it's not that's not like they're part of the family or whatever. Yeah. Um, And then Georgina comes in. And she's also acting real, real weird. And she apologizes for unplugging the phone. But she does it in the weirdest way. Because she's, same thing, like, really affected speech. Where she's like, oh, what had happened was that I was dusting under your phone. And it came unplugged. And I didn't want to touch your items any more than necessary. So I left it. And I apologize. Like, it's all really weird. the pronunciation is so over the top on every single word. It's crazy. Yeah. And so he makes a comment to her about, like, I'm sorry, I just get jumpy um, when I'm only around white people don't like you get it right and she like what do i don't out. know what you mean well she doesn't just say that she just starts crying that's the part where she's like no 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 like she says it like a million times but like she's trying to keep like a smile on her face and she's just like crying at the same time it's just clear there's something going on with yeah. her and we don't know what yet. And she's like, no, they treat me just like one of the family. And he's like, oh, okay, well, like, I'm not going to, like, snitch or whatever. And she's like, what is snitch? And he's like, you know, like, tell on you. And she's, she's like, like oh, tattletale. tattletale. Which is, like, another weird thing. And it's something that keeps coming up is that, like, the people around him, like, there's something wrong with, like, every other black character that he meets. And they don't understand, like, modern slang. Yeah. Basically at all. Um, so after that whole thing happens, um, the party guests start showing up for the, the annual get together. And like every single person there is obsessed with Chris in some way or another. And they all make really off comments. So like one of them like mentions that like, well, black is so in right now. Yeah. Um, There's someone who asks like, is it true that like the sex is better to Rose? Um, there's. There's someone who asks, oh, there's the golfer guy who's, like, talking about how he loves to golf and he can't golf like he used to. And, and actually, like, like, makes Chris do, like, a golf swing type Yeah, thing and keeps him. talking about how, like, he loves Tiger Woods. And then there's another, um, there's one guy there who's Asian who says, like, do you think that there's an advantage to being black rather than being... Asian like do you think that you have an advantage yeah so they're all like these really weird questions and like Chris is obviously super uncomfortable because it's like 
everyone is focused on him and he's like and specifically his race more than anything else yeah like every single person is interacting with him under that like context and he's at the party and he notices that there is another young black guy there and so he goes over to him and says hi and can you really tell in this scene that it's the guy from the first scene? You can because the first one's really dark. Tell. Yeah, um, because I was watching it with Paul, and he actually said, "Wait, is that the guy from the first scene?" Okay, I was okay. like, "No, that's not him." Or is it him? No, no, that's not him. But it, maybe it is him. It was kind of like one of those things <laughs> where you're not really. Aww, it is it the same actor. Yeah, but but he's dressed totally different. Like he's wearing like a leather jacket and jeans in the first scene, and he's wearing like a tweed, like a like a, a um, big hat, and he's like completely clean shaven when yeah. he had like scruff and stuff like that before, and like. The the way he's holding himself and talks again is completely different. And yeah. Again, like very like a lot of over enunciation. Yeah. Like he. So Chris goes over to him and he's like, "Hey, like it's good to see like another black guy here. Like it's nice to meet you." And he goes. They're chatting for a little while. Um. And, and like his girlfriend, like like this older woman that the other guy Logan is yeah, the like name that he introduces aged, himself by. Um. Like probably like forties, fifties. Yeah, comes over and she is talking, and Logan, who was Andre, Andre yeah. but we don't know that yet. Right. Um. Says like, oh, Chris here was just telling me how he feels much more comfortable because there is another like black person here. And Chris is like, why Thanks would for that. you like, say that? <laughs> and so kind of the telling moment, and I think it got used in like a lot of promotional stuff, is when he goes to say goodbye. Chris extends his hand to bump his fist, and then. Logan slash Dre like takes and like hands shake it. it shakes his fist yeah and it's and Chris really is weird like, what the fuck is going on like this guy is like 27 years old and so Chris like leaves the area and goes and finds an area to sit by himself and there's another guy there who's blind mm-hmm. and they get into a whole conversation turns out this blind guy is actually an art dealer and he's like I'm sorry everyone here is acting insane I know everyone's ridiculous and they kind of have a really good conversation actually about art and photography and he says that he knows that Chris is a really good photographer and he has the eye right and he's yeah basically he like he really admires Chris's work and that he'd always wanted to be a photographer when he was younger and then he he just didn't have it anyway and he didn't even have the eye when he could see yeah and Um, so um so Chris goes back upstairs and grabs his phone which is like it's like a little charged it's a little charged yeah and he calls his friend Rod and kind of explains like everyone here is acting crazy yeah and Rod is super funny in every scene he's he's like they're gonna make you a sex slave this is some Jeffrey Dahmer shit I believe is what he refers to it as I think he does yeah like a little blurb about Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, it was great. He's so funny. Apparently he was just like improvising for most of this. I I love him. He's so good. He's on the phone with Rod and kind of explaining all this stuff. So once they get off the phone, he goes back downstairs and he brings his phone with him. Yeah. And while they're all standing around talking, Chris sneaks a photo of Logan. Yeah, but the flash goes off. And Logan's face just like changes. Oh my God. This is... And he gets oh, a nosebleed, God. and he starts, like, coming at um, Chris saying, like, get out, get out, yeah. you need to get out. He, like, grabs him by the, sh- like, he's shaking it's him. It's, like, violent, he's, like, yeah. yeah. it's, like, a total night and day complete change in behavior. And everyone grabs Logan slash Dre and takes him away, and they say, like, he had a seizure, he's epileptic, and that's what it was, and that's mm-hmm. what the flash set off. And meanwhile, Chris is, like, yeah, no, I have, like, a cousin who has epilepsy. This is not that's that. not a seizure, yeah. And, it, I mean, it's obviously not. But Rose is, like, oh, my dad's a neurosurgeon, so, like, if he says it's a seizure, like, I'm pretty sure it's a seizure. And, like, they kind of just write him off. But he's, like, freaked out, so he sends a photo, the photo that he snuck, 
to Rod. So yeah. So, so after this all, all happens, they decide they're going to get out of the house. Yeah. And, they're and he's go like, walk. I just need to get out right now. Like I can't do this. And so Rose and Chris go on a walk and they talk how he's feeling really uncomfortable. He's just there's a lot going on mm-hmm. and especially being like accosted by logan he just doesn't want to be there anymore he wants to go home and, yeah, and he like, like why would you leave her? me alone here like i can't believe you do that and he, they talk about like leaving together yeah and she's like okay well we'll leave tomorrow morning like if you hate it let's go this sucks whatever yeah at the same time that this is happening, all the people back at the house are playing bingo. But they're actually having a silent auction. Yeah, and so the father, Dean, is like, he keeps like holding up fingers and people will raise their bingo cards that are like completely filled out as if they've won. Mm-hmm. Um, when if they're bidding and there's like a huge picture of Chris. So it's clear yeah. that they are all bidding on Chris, but the actual intentions are not clear yet. Right. And the blind guy wins. Yeah, he wins the auction. Yeah. So spends a lot of money on him. Apparently. Um so something is weird and bad. Yep. Um so they go back to the house. Everyone else is leaving. Yeah, everyone's leaving. Um they don't get back until it's dark out. Yeah. And Rose and Chris go upstairs and I think that's when Chris sends the photo of Logan to Rod. Yeah. And Rod immediately calls him mm-hmm. and he's like, "What's up?" And he's like, "Yo, that's Dre." Yeah. And it turns out that Andre Hayworth is a guy who like dated a friend's sister of theirs so it's like this weird connection he's like oh man that is him like I knew I recognized him what the heck and they're talking and the phone cuts out yeah and because the phone dies because it was basically dead from before Mm -hmm. and so they're packing up to go she's he's basically like we have to leave now because originally they were like oh we'll leave in the morning and then this happens he's like we are leaving tonight like we're getting the fuck out and she's like okay, cool, let me go grab all of our stuff, you pack up, whatnot. So she goes downstairs, and he notices that there's this little cabinet door thing that's just open. So he is curious, he opens it up, and he finds a box, and he opens up a box. Now, at this point, it's important to note that at the very beginning of the movie, Rose tells him that she has never dated a black person before. Yes, he said that this is the first time. Yeah. In this box, he finds a big stack of photographs of her smiling next to next to various, various different black guys. Yeah, and also one black woman right. who is Georgina. Yeah, and there's also a photo of her with Walter. Yeah. So he's like, oh shit, what the fuck is going on? She shows up right behind him, and he plays it off like he doesn't he wasn't looking know. for his camera. Yeah. yeah, and so she finds she's like, "Oh, I have your camera right here," and he's like, "Okay, great, let's go right now." So they go downstairs. She's looking for the keys because she can't find them in her big messy purse, and things get very weird. The entire family is standing around, being like, "Why are you going? Like, yeah, what's going on?" He's like, "Oh, my dog's like, sick. Like, I have to leave." Yeah, um, and Rose actually makes up the excuse, so she yeah. very much like seems like she's on his side. So. Yeah, and. She's, like, looking for the keys. He's, like, Rose, I need the keys. Like, get the keys. Where are the keys? And, like, Bradley Whitford shows up and he starts making, like, this creepy, ominous speech. Yeah, and it's really weird. About, like, fire and its cleansing and stuff like that. And then eventually Rose, like, pulls out the keys and says, she's like, you know I can't hand these to you, right? He, like, starts freaking out. That moment I I love. Because oh, my God, she plays, Up like, until that second... Like, even rewatching it, I was like, oh, she can't find the key. She can't find the key. Because she's doing that thing that, like, every woman who has a purse has done where you're like, what pocket did I put them in? I can't find them. I, I, mean, I do that them. literally every day when I come home yeah, from school. Like, same, like, all the time. And then the second where she just pulls them out and her face just completely changes. And she's like, you know, I can't give these to you, right, babe? Yeah. And it's like, oh, shit. And, like, I think he definitely suspected it, but he was still hoping. Yeah. 
it's rough. And yeah. then I think the uh, the brother, brother is there and attacks him. him. I think he's holding like the lacrosse stick. Yeah. So they knock him out. So actually, no, they don't knock him out. The mom has the teacup and oh, she like yeah. clicks and it she, twice and, and she's like, stop. And he just like falls. Yeah. And he's and he back in the second place. He's still like watching through the weird TV thing. Yeah. Yeah. He wakes up in a chair um, downstairs. Yeah. Um, strapped in to the chair uh, and he watches this little orientation video of sorts um, where basically they explain to him that they are going to take the white guy the blind guy's brain and they're going to put it into his head and also leave a little portion of his brain intact so he'll still sort of be there but he won't really have any control over anything he'll be like a passenger yeah in his own body um and that they're kind of talking and they're prepping him for the surgery and he gets to talk to, gets to, he has to talk to the guy. Uh, he's the one, the blind guy is the one who actually explains the whole process because he said yeah. that like understanding how it works actually like makes it a lot more successful. Right. So that's all going on. But then it also cuts back a couple times to Rod, our TSA agent friend. Who is the funniest part of this movie. movie. He is trying so hard to get people to take him seriously. Because he just can't get a hold of his friend. And he, yeah, and he, it's been days, he was supposed to come home a couple days ago, and he's still convinced that this is, like, some sex slave shit. Yeah, and he's tr- like, he tries to report him to the police, nobody takes him seriously, so he decides he's going to call but again. But he does research also on missing Andre, yeah. and finds that he's been missing for months. Yeah. And, like, uses that as information, and, like, the police officer, the detective had asked, like, well if he like what do you mean he's acting different he's like well he has like this old girlfriend he's like well that's why he's fucking acting different and so he's trying to get a hold of chris and he calls him several times and at this point in time like rose is full scary villain oh she's like super psychopath she's like total ice queen sitting around really enjoying this process obviously and so she gets a hold of or he gets a hold of her and she even like looks different now like yeah she's like like, super pristine and this like perfect ponytail and just looks very clinical and like has a buttoned up shirt and everything Um, so it's a total change of vibe and he uh, Rod gets her on the phone and she's like oh my god yeah I don't know what happened to Chris either like Like, he took off the other day he took a cab a couple days ago and I haven't seen him since like he left his phone here and that's why I'm answering it as I hope that he'd be the one calling yeah and so he's like well wait like what cab company did he use and she's like I don't know like a local one or like like he called an Uber or something I guess and he's like well why would he not have his phone if he called an Uber and then she's just like well let's like call this what it is like you clearly like want to fuck me and like I've seen how you looked at me and he's like which is such a bad move like Honestly, if she had just, I mean, like, it's a good move for, like, Chris not dying. But, like, in terms of villain, like, why would she make that switch? Oh. That is the only part where her character did not ring true to me, is that, like, she no, knew he it was... worked really well, because if you even Rod, like, when he hung up, he was like, that bitch is brilliant. Because if he went to the police and stuff like that, he said all this, like, now there's, like, a whole conversation that happened, and she's accusing that, and then the police are going to think, like, oh, like, he just has a crush on, like, this woman. That's true. And maybe it kind of turns him into a suspect, almost, because he's trying to get in contact, he's worried about it, but also, like, oh, well, he has jealous about the girlfriend, and so, like, he hangs oh, up, right, and he literally he says, she's like... Reco- she knows he's recording because he's yeah. recording the phone call and she's like oh okay yeah because he says like hey can you hold on a second that's mm-hmm. when he starts recording and she figures it out and then she is accusing him of that so now that's what the conversation is based on so right. literally when they hang up she's he says that bitch is brilliant that makes more sense because i was kind of like he's like she's just making him more suspicious but i guess the point is she doesn't think he's going to be able to figure out where they it, are anyway it causes him to have less credibility yeah if he ever were to give that phone call to anyone and it changes the topic right and the scariest part to me about this whole thing is that when you just hear her voice 
voice on the phone, it sounds like she is hysterical and crying. And when you see her, she is expressionless. Yeah, but she's actually doing a voice as if she's like caring yeah. and upset, but her face is just blank. Yeah, it's, oh, she's so creepy. She is, I think, one of the creepiest movie villains I've she ever seen. Is. She's terrifying. Like, she's scarier than any of the other. Because, like, everybody else from the beginning is like, oh, they're weird. But, like, her change you don't is read just that on her at all. Terrifying. Yeah. Because she seems like a normal she human being. She seems so sweet, like, up and like, a little bit out of touch, but, like, really sweet. And then, like, the, she oh, tries, God. like, it seems like she's just, like, trying really hard to but be, like, she, a good I mean, She's trying girlfriend. hard, but she's trying hard for something very different. Yeah. Um, so we, we cut back to Chris, and he, he's been, like, picking at the chair. Yeah, because, so, when he was hypnotized originally, um... It showed that when he was freaking out and, like, watching the TV and waiting for his mom, his stress thing is he was, like, had his hands on the arm of the chair and was using his fingernails and was, like, scraping the wood. And that's something he did when he was waiting for his mom. And so in his sleep, he has been doing that again. Right. And now, like, this leather chair, like, it's kind of some of the stuffing's coming out and it's Mm -hmm. all peeled out because his fingernails have been doing this. Yeah. So so Jeremy comes to get him for surgery. It looks like Chris is conked out. Yeah, because the... um, the TV comes back on and it shows yeah, the teacup again the tea and cup. it knocks him out. Right. So Jeremy comes in to get him for surgery. He uh, takes the straps off so that he can put him in a wheelchair and wheel him over there. And while he's leaning down to get like his feet or something like that, Chris nails him in the back of the head with a bocce ball. Because he actually had taken some of the stuffing from the chair and put it in his ears. Yeah. In order so that way he wouldn't hear the sound of the right spoon. And then he and, just fakes it. Yeah. And he beats the shit out of Jeremy. Yeah, it's a really bloody bocce ball. It gets extra... Like, there's no gore in this movie up until, like, the last 15 minutes when there is an unbelievable amount of gore. Oh, but it's amazing. <laughs> so he gets out of there. He grabs this deer head that's off... That's on the wall in, like, the study area that he's being held in because Dean, in, like, his first scene, talks about how much he hates deer, right? So there's, like, this dead deer stuffed in, in their basement or whatever. And so he goes and he tracks down Dean, who is prepping for surgery, and he's got uh, the, the the blind guy all cut open with his his brain like yeah. out. <laughs> his brain is just chilling. Dean like kind of goes looking for Jeremy because Jeremy's taking a really long time, and he turns this corner and Chris just shoves the deer's antlers through his chest. It's so fantastic. oh god, it's such a good death. Um, and so he runs up to the study where Missy is. She's hanging out there and she's like, oh shit. And she tries to get him to. I think she goes for her cup because her right, cup's and in the he, room. Like, knocks it out of her hands. Yeah. And then he kills her too, but I don't remember she how. She stabs him through the hand with a letter Oh my gosh, you're opener, right. He does. And ah, he, she does. like a true badass, turns it around while it's still in his hand and shoves it into her chest. There we go. And meanwhile, oh it gosh. cuts to Rose, who is on her computer upstairs going through like top NCAA picks, like yeah. trying to find like the next person who she's and she's got find. all of the photos hung up on the wall behind her, like yeah. of all of her and like the people she's like, like body snatched. They're like trophies, almost. Yeah, yeah. Like she's very clearly proud of us, mm-hmm. and she is drinking milk out of one cup, like a single sip at a time, and then eating Fruit Loops in this weird little like chip monkey way again, one at a time. She's so weird, and she's listening to what is she? She's listening to some weird choice. Oh no, she's listening to Time of Your Life. Oh my God, you're right. Okay, so I've she's listening to Had the Time. Of my life. Well, her family is getting fucking murdered yeah, downstairs. But she can't hear it. And eventually she kind of hears something. She hears because. He, okay, so that doesn't happen quite yet because he is about to leave the house. Like he has grabbed car keys off of Jeremy and he's going to leave the house. And Jeremy 
I guess wakes back up. Yeah, and, and he comes, grabs him right as he's about to. Because he didn't double tap. You always oh, double you always tap. Double tap. It's like they didn't watch Zombieland. Not enough times, at least. <laughs> Nowhere near as many times as we did in oh, college. Boy, I tell you. So Jeremy comes back in and he has the lacrosse stick. He's like attacking him, going all out. Tries to put him in a chokehold. Yeah, and every time. Chris tries to open the door. Jeremy kicks it shut with his Mind leg. you, the letter opener is still in Chris's hand. Yeah. Like, stabbed through it. So He's not I, holding it. He's literally stabbed through his, his hand. hand. Yeah. So there's, like, three tries where Chris tries to get the door open and Jeremy shuts it. Tries to get the door open and he shuts it. I think the third time, yeah. Jer- he, he does the same thing. Like, he reaches for it. Jeremy kicks his leg out. And Chris stabs the letter opener into Jeremy's leg. <sighs> so Jeremy screams and drops to the ground. And then he... Kicks his head in, I think. I think he does, He just yeah. stomps him to death. Which is and so weird because, like, Chris is such a nice person up until this point, and he just fucking loses it. Like, no, obviously, fantastic. anyone would, but, like... And it's this interaction is what Rose hears from no, upstairs. because he gets all the way out to the car, and he gets into the car. Yeah, but she's, like... She, I think, hears it going on, and she's like, I should check that out. And she does. She goes very slowly down the stairs to check it out because she comes out. Like, he is in the car, and he's starting to drive away, and that's when she comes out with no, a gun. No, because what, what she hears is him hitting Georgina. Oh, I forgot about that. Or she hears the crash. Because yeah, he, he goes, goes out, out, and he gets in the car. Georgina runs out at him. And, and like, he slams the car. Yeah. yeah. You're right. Okay. Sorry. And so... And so she gets hit by the car and she's like lying on the side of the ground. And now is the point where all of Chris's guilt for what happened to his mother comes back to haunt him because rather than driving the fuck away because he knows Georgina is also a victim because they're the parents. We didn't really mention this. Georgina and Walter are the grandparents who got Yeah, it's not explicitly said, I don't think, but it's very heavily implied. She, until later. At the very end, she's like, grandma, and then goes out. But yeah, like, so it, um, it's pretty much clear that the, yeah, Georgina and Walter have the brains of the grandparents in them. Yeah. That's why they're acting like... 90-year-olds yeah. and young bodies. Right. So he hits her, and then he's like, well, shit, like, she's just an innocent victim. Like, I left my mother to die. Like, I can't leave and her to die. Because the Flash obviously brought the other person back, like, it's clear that there is a part of the right. original, whoever Georgina was before she, like, became Georgina, is right. still inside of her somewhere. Exactly. So he gets out and gets her and puts her in the car. Like, he's going to drive away with her, I guess, to try to get her help. But she wakes up. And starts attacking him, like, scratching yeah. his face and stuff like that. Like, goes ham. And also, Rose hears this whole thing. Yeah, Rose Comes hears the with a shotgun. Yeah. She wrote, I think, a rifle. Doesn't matter. Something, <laughs> maybe a rifle. I actually don't know anything about the different types of guns, so. Yeah, she, so she rolls downstairs. She's like, Grandma. And she goes out. She's got this gun. She's trying to fire at him. Georgina dies when he crashes into a tree, I think, because she's attacking him. So he gets out of the car. She keeps trying to shoot him. And then, like, Walter shows up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's running to catch up because he's super fast. something that we didn't mention is the whole idea the grandfather was actually in the Olympics. Yeah. But lost. To Jesse Owens. Yeah, and so he kind of always felt bitter about that, and that's why he decided to... He actually created this whole process. Right. So that's he, why he was, like, running in that one scene. So he's yeah. running and chasing him down, and you see Allison Williams is like, get him, Grandpa. Yeah, and so as he goes up to Chris, Chris remembers the Flash thing, cues up the Flash on his phone, and shines it right in his eyes. And he comes back, and he turns to her, to Rose, and goes, let me do it, and she hands him the gun, and he just fucking shoots her right in the stomach. Right in the stomach, and it's, like, yeah, blood just, everywhere. She's bleeding, she's got this white shirt, you can see all the blood, and then he shoots himself in the mouth. Because yeah. Because he doesn't want to keep 
being this. Yeah. yeah. It seems like it's over for the most part, but then Allison Williams wakes back up and yeah. is like trying to get back to the gun. And so Chris starts like choking her to like right. kill her the rest of the way. But Warned she's from like his past it. mistakes. Yeah, yeah he's, he's like, like, no, like we're not. And so he's <laughs> killing her and then he's like strangling her and he's just like sitting. Basically, he's like on top of her, like, trying to kill her. He stops for a second, and you see a police car roll up. Yep, and so it is the car rolls up with blue and red lights, and you're like, oh, shit, because, like, it looks like he has killed everyone here. Which, I mean, he has, but, like, there's a good reason. Yeah, and you just don't know. Like, the other house is on fire because he knocked over something in the basement. There's, like, a candle Yeah, room for some reason. Uh, And so she smiles because she knows that, like, he's going away, and he's like, oh, shit. So he stops choking her. Yeah. And the car door opens, and you see the side of the car door. It says, like, airport security. Yeah. And it's Rod getting out of the car. And when I saw this in the theaters, I saw this in a full house. And when the car pulls up, everyone was silent. Oh, yeah. And then when he gets out of that car... Like applause, like yeah, open. There's applause. just like cheering as he shows <laughs> like, up. I saw it in a full theater too, uh, and it's amazing. I saw it like a week so after good. it came out, yeah. and the theater was still completely I saw it jam-packed. A, probably a month after it came out. Yeah, because you saw it a theater. week or two after I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, if it's at all possible to see this with several other people, you should see it because it's an incredible movie to see in a group. Yeah, and I think it was a Monday night that I saw it too, so it wasn't like a hot movie night. It wasn't like no. a Friday or something like that. No, this is just an incredible movie. But anyway. Chris gets into the car with Rod and they drive off and the uh, really cool song from the beginning of the movie starts playing again. Yeah. And uh, they do the title treatment. Yeah. In this really cool blue color. And that's the movie. It's really good. It's a little hard to remember exactly what happens, what order. I apologize. It's incredible. It's a great movie. Um, Rod saves the day. This movie, like something we kind of mentioned with the whole like hedge maze thing, it references so many different classic horror movies. And these are references that have actually been publicly talked about as well as ones that you can just kind of tell. The Shining, I think, is the biggest one that this references constantly. There's a lot. Like, there's big ones and there's small ones. There's, I think, one of the ones that I like that is definitely just a little teensy Easter egg is that in the first scene that you see Rod and he is at the airport and you can hear the announcements going on over the PA in the background. And one of the flights that they call for is Flight 237. And Room 237 is, like, the infamous room from The Shining. And it's a number that, like, people reference a lot in horror because I of did that not movie. get I didn't notice that. I didn't either. I was watching, like, a one of the million different interviews with Jordan yeah. Peele where somebody picked up on so, it. So some of the other Shining ones, one of the um, big ones is the fact that it goes back and forth between, like, the scary action stuff and then shows what Rod's doing. Mm-hmm. And in the movie The Shining, it kind of does the same thing. with That's Halloran, right? Yes. And so the idea is it goes back and forth between the stuff having with, like, Jack and the kid, Danny, and... Then we'll go back to, like, what is Halloran doing? And at some point, it's like he's, like, having sex or something like that. Or he's in a room with, like, a bunch of pornography mm-hmm. on the walls. And so it's, like, not exactly... It definitely isn't as tense. And so it kind of relieves tension. It isn't the comedic relief in the same way that, like, Rod is. Right. But going back and forth to this other person who ends up saving the day at the very end. Yeah. And then also another fun small one is that the color blue used for Get Out in the beginning and the end is the same color blue I read as, like, the words when they put up The Shining over, um, like, when you see it in the movie, the title treatment. There also is a lot of the, like, driving to a remote location stuff that happens, where, like, it kind of opens with, like, there's another scene before they head up in the car, but in in Get Out, but there's those long shots of driving through the woods and through the wilderness to get up to this really fucked up place where terrible stuff is going to happen to these characters. And it's, like, common knowledge that Jordan Peele is a huge fan of The Shining. He did a sketch, actually, that really heavily referenced The Shining, and then actually had a 
picture of him from that sketch as his Twitter profile picture for a long time. So he, like, this is not, people are not, like, making this up. No, this is, like, actually a very common. There's the hedge maze reference that we yeah. talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, gosh, there's probably... There's another one that I can't think of. Honestly, there's probably way, yeah, there's probably more if you, like, I'm sure even no matter how many we get on this, there's going to be ones that we miss. Yeah. And then, I mean, even the title of the movie is a reference to... Um, the Amityville Horror. Yeah. It's also a reference to Eddie Murphy's um, bit about how a horror movie would be different, like a haunted house movie would be different if the protagonists were a black family because as soon as the house is like, get out, they'd be like, all right, cool, see you later. Yeah, and because in the Amityville Horror, the house actually says, like, get out, and the family's like, no, we're good, we're gonna stay. Yeah. And And appropriately, in this movie, Chris is like, from basically the second that weird stuff starts happening, he's like, I'm I'm gonna gonna leave. leave. Like, we should go. And, like, Rod is like, you're right, you should go. And it's everyone else who's like, no, maybe stay. Like, they don't mean it. I'm sure it's fine. So, like, it definitely is, you know, it's, it's, it's that. A quote that I read from Jordan Peele, and this is actually in reference to his use of the song Redbone, um, the Childish Gambino song. The whole, there's a whole line in it about, like, staying woke. He said in talking about, like, why he picked this song was that he said, I wanted to make sure that this movie satisfied the black horror movie audience's need for characters to be smart and do things that intelligent and observant people would do. Which is what Chris does. Yeah, and so he really liked the theme of the song because he think it fit really well about, like, being intelligent. Like, yeah. And then actually another fun fact about the music going back to that um, is the the opening credits and ending credits song that Maddie referenced earlier um, which is actually in Swahili the lyrics are in Swahili and it translates to brother listen to the ancestors run you need to run far listen to the truth brother listen to the ancestors run run to save yourself listen to the ancestors which is like get out get out of there (laughs) and then even the song um, that's playing when the brother Jeremy is kidnapping Andre in the beginning it's made very obvious that he is the one kidnapping Yeah, it's like his car and there's like the night helmet when he gets in the car Yeah, um, but that song Run Rabbit Run is also all about how like Run Rabbit, like get out there, like the farmer doesn't need you for its stew tonight, like the farmer will be fine without you, just get away. Yeah, which is the same thing that's happening in this movie is that like they'll be okay if they don't body snatch you you just need to get out and take Yeah, care there's of a lot of, like, hitting over the head with the idea of, like, hey, get out of there, maybe. But it's in, like, such a subtle way, because I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily notice... Yeah. Like, I feel like in, the, in that scene, like, you notice the music because you notice it's creepy. Like, it's a weird old-timey thing. Like, you mentioned it's sort of like what they do in um, Clockwork Orange. Yeah, exactly, where it's a, a scene of horrifying violence. It's this guy being kidnapped. And, like... They do a great job of, like, even though you don't know anything about this guy at the beginning, you're like, no. Yeah, he just seems like a cool guy. Yeah, he seems very likable. Yeah. And he's just like, I'm in a bad situation. I need to get out of here because this does not feel right. Yeah. And then gets kidnapped. Exactly. Um, So I think that in the moment, you're more focused on, like, the dichotomy between the really peppy, old-timey music and this really terrifying thing that's happening on the scene. And it's not until you really dig in deeper to, like, the lyrics of the song that you kind of, you know, you get that there's even more meaning packed. I actually, at the first time I heard the song, thought it was saying, like, Run Reindeer Run, and maybe it was, like, a Christmas song, because I just couldn't make it out that long. Run, run, reindeer. 
deer. So Which I, there is a deer theme, too, so that would work, too. I don't know. I have horrible hearing, in all honesty. <laughs> I'm not surprised I heard the wrong words. So I looked it up, and I was like, what is this song? And I saw the title, and I was like, oh, this makes more sense. Especially, yeah. like, looking up the lyrics. Like, this, yeah. this fits a lot better. It does. Than a Christmas song. Yeah. And other, I mean, other horror movies that it, it references, like, aside from, you know, the ones that we've mentioned, and definitely the, the strong reference to The Shining, this is a very referential movie. Yeah. Which I love. Like I said earlier, you can tell it's that Jordan referential the without like stealing exactly. it's not trying to like copy another movie it's making slight references out of appreciation and i mean because i think i know what you're going to talk about yeah so like stepford wives was that not what you were going to talk that about was not what i, I thought you were going to talk about the body snatchers oh i'm going to talk about both so well body i was thinking yeah. in terms of the whole body snatchers thing is that there are similar themes throughout horror but at the same time like just because two movies have ghosts mm-hmm. doesn't mean that one is copying the other right this is very original and really well done and actually a lot of people just like you watch the movie thinking oh they're just hypnotized and this is weird that's why Georgina's Mm -hmm. acting differently is because she's hypnotized not because she literally has an old person's brain in her body right like it's a killer twist and so I think that oh my god so I think that this podcast is with special guest Anya (laughs) so I think that there are some people who might say that pulls really heavily from the idea of like body snatchers it does but like it doesn't do it in a a way where it's exactly not in a way where it steals in a way where it's like a similar theme because like there is a lot of repeat horror. There are so many, so many like scary things I think can like really happen to you. Like there's demons, there's ghosts, there's like things taking over your body. Yeah, and I mean it's so he Jordan Peele specifically mentioned that like Stepford Wives was a big influence uh, for him and for this movie, and that one of the big things in Stepford Wives is that it's men versus women. So it's men using like replacing the bodies of the women in their lives um, in order to make them more useful to them to make them like quiet and demure housewives who like just want to have sex and like clean up the house or whatever whereas in this movie it's more of a race divide or it's not more of a race divide it literally is a race divide where it's white people taking advantage of what they want out of black people which is their physicality or their artistic ability and discounting them as people and you you really do get the sense from the movie and that chris doesn't seem surprised by any of this chris is like yeah okay like it's the terrible uncomfortable party where everyone's being really weird to me obviously which with with much more sinister tones yeah so it's kind of like everybody wants a different thing out of him but they all sort of disregard that like it doesn't matter because like it's him like he's a person (laughs) yeah like yeah okay like the blind guy doesn't have the eye that he wants for photography but like why does he get chris's like why would he get that like okay so like the guy who likes to play golf can't play it anymore because of his hip but like okay that's his problem that's not chris's problem like with something like stepford wives where it's the guys disregarding the women's humanity to get what they want out of the women, which is a clean house and a happy wife and sex and all that stuff, is that in this one, they're looking at him as like, well, like black people are athletic or black people are fashionable or black people are art- artistic or even like the one guy who doesn't just view him as like a body still views him as like, well, I want to have a good, you know, eye for photography. So if I'll just take this guy's like they still, no matter what the reason is, they still are only looking at him as like a body to get them what they want. And no, it's sort of true. the same theme that they talk about in or that they deal with in Stepford Wives where it's like, okay, so you want a sexy wife who like just cleans your house, but like 
so what? Like, this is still a person. Like, you don't just get to take what you want from a person. Yeah. And you don't get to throw away a woman's humanity just because you think she'd be prettier if she wore more makeup. And you don't get to throw away a black guy's humanity just because, like, you want to fuck your wife better. Or what? Like, you don't... It doesn't matter what you want out of it. Yeah. Like, you don't get that. Which I think is a cool theme that... Uh, it definitely is. And I didn't actually make the Stepford Wives um, connection at all when watching it. Yeah. But thinking back on it, I see I mean, it it's now. subtle. Because it's definitely, like... Like, from what I understand, that it was, it was Jordan Peele's sort of... I don't know if his starting point or just, like, something that influenced him, like, in the development of the movie. I mean, I guess the main character in Stepford Wives is also a photographer. So there's that little reference. But, like, you know, it's not, like, a, a direct pull. No, it's just, it's a similar idea and yeah. concept. And I think they tie together really well. They have, they're different movies. They have very different plot lines and all of that. But it is very interesting. Because yeah. the whole idea of, like, oh, these people are not acting quite right what's yeah. going on here and trying to figure that out and then being like almost made that yourself yeah and it's like kind of the same thing with the with invasion of the body snatchers where there's like the reason that they know that something is wrong is because these people that they've lived around for their entire lives aren't acting right like they don't have the right emotion in their words there's a kid who's running away from his mom and nobody else can tell that his mom like there's something wrong with his mom but he knows there's something wrong with his mom because she's not acting quite right and it's sort of the same thing where like georgina doesn't know what the word snitch means or um, Logan doesn't know that you're not supposed to shake a, a fist. fist. Like, yeah. it's just those little things where it's like, oh, but like, if you were the person that you seem like you are, you would know that. Oh, this is one that I found that I, I have not read this book, so I can't actually back this up with any additional information other than what I found on Wikipedia. But um, the book Neuromancer by William Gibson, um, it's a 1984 sci-fi cyberpunk novel, and it includes a character named Armitage, which is the same last name as Rose's family, yeah. who has his personality overwritten and replaced with another person's personality. That's really interesting. And I don't know if that's a coincidence. or I'm if- sure it's not. It's probably not, because I feel like they're not there's a lot of There's no way that's a coincidence. But I also feel like there's so, like, there is so much that, like, if you keep looking far enough, there are going to be things that are coincidence. It's the same name and a yeah. very similar plot device. I wouldn't be surprised if it's not. I'm sure it's not. I, I doubt it's a coincidence. Jordan Peele's way too, like, intelligent for that. Yeah, that's the thing, is that I just, like, I don't want to be, like, a crazy conspiracy theorist where I'm like every single thing is a reference because I like I've seen posts by people like that and it's like after a while it's like that's probably not <laughs> I get that like I saw some online that seemed like they were stretches I yeah. think if it's literally the same name and a very similar plot it's probably on it's purpose. probably on purpose yeah. and like and it's a small feature within the plot. It's like the, it's one of the devices used. It's not, again, like he's taking it, stealing mm-hmm. it or anything like that. But there's no way that's a coincidence. It must not be. I mean, I, yeah, you're right. It's, it's almost definitely not. Um, Rosemary's Baby. Oh, Rosemary's Baby was another one that they mentioned. Is that just because of the same idea? Yeah, of using same idea. A body where it's for like, someone else's means. Yeah, and feeling uncomfortable with. There's the intimate relationship situation where like finding out that your significant other, who you think is supposed to have your back, is actually part of the oh, overall yeah. scheme against you. That's true. And also, somebody pointed out this is a tiny one, but I like it. Is that realizing that there's something wrong with somebody because of their eyes? There's a big focus on eyes in this movie in general, like the the flashing light um, or Georgina crying. Okay, or, Georgina crying. That was. Definitely Definitely, like, the real her coming out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. Okay, cool. Yeah. But either way, there's just, like, that focus on, like, you can tell by the look in someone's eyes that something's wrong. Like, at the end of uh, Rosemary's Baby, where she's like, what is wrong with his eyes? And then, like, he has his father's eyes because his father's Satan. Yeah. So there's also, like, an insane amount of foreshadowing. Outside of the music, which is obviously really, like, crazy foreshadowing, there's so much more than that. Oh, my God. And the incredible thing is that, like, you don't pick up on any of them the first time. No. Like, the first time you watch it, none of it actually seems, like, it's very clear signals the second or third time that you watch it. But later on, it's just, like... The only one I picked up on the first time is when Bradley Whitford 
is showing Chris around the house and they get to the kitchen and he's like, oh, my mother loved the kitchen. This was like her prized room in the house. Um, She died a few years, but we keep a piece of her in here. And then they pan immediately to Georgina. And the only reason that that got me is because there is nothing else that would signify a piece of the grandmother. Like, it's not like there's like a photo of her or like... It seemed like, I think it was supposed to be like Georgina was interrupting the scene. Yeah. And so that's what I took it as, was just like, oh, wait, she's like interrupting it. Or maybe it was about the idea that she cared for the mother. And so like they keep a piece of her around by keeping her caretaker around. For me, I think maybe I'd gotten it a little bit spoiled. Like, I didn't know the full twist, but I was like, something's weird with them. Oh, I didn't know anything about it when I went. And when they got to, like, that part, I was like, oh, I wonder what's happening with Georgina. Like, I wonder what that is. I think I literally knew that this was a horror movie written and directed by Jordan Peele. And that's it? And that was it. I was on Tumblr a lot at that point in time, which I have had to since cut out of my life because I don't do anything else when I'm on Tumblr. Because you can just fall into incredibly deep holes. So I saw a lot of, like, sunken place memes. Mm. So I was like, oh, something's going on. So I think, like, a couple ones that you don't pick up at first, the idea of, like, Granddaddy Armitage being really bitter over losing to like Jesse Owens. You have um, the idea of how like we couldn't bear to let them go. The way that they phrase that line is so particular because it's really ambiguous use of pronouns because what he says is like, you know, I know it looks bad that we have this white family with black servants, but Walter and Georgina used to take care of my parents. They died a few years back, but we couldn't bear to let them go. He doesn't say we couldn't bear to let Walter and Georgina go. He He says we couldn't bear to let them go. Which could refer to either Walter and Georgina or could refer to the grandparents. And in this situation, since the parent grandparents are basically just overwritten over Georgina and Walter, it's like the grandparents. Oh, it, it definitely is, but the first time you hear that line, you're yeah. like, oh, you couldn't bear to let the people who are ca- taking care of the family go. Right. Um, also, the idea of like why they want Chris to stop smoking so much is because right. they're like selling off this body and they exactly. don't want to sell something that's going to get cancer. Right. Or even the scene where like the police officer comes and like wants to see Chris's ID. Mm-hmm. Like when Rose is like like being like he shouldn't need to do that like I'm the one who was driving I got into the accident like there's no reason to and Chris even's like yo it's hot that you stood up for me like that but she wasn't standing up for him she was making sure there wasn't a paper trail exactly and it's it's funny to rewatch because almost every single thing that she does is like she's trying to make it work she's trying to keep people from finding out or from spilling the information like during the party even where like people are like oh here's a weird offensive question for you like she gives them these looks that on first look are like it's rude because that's her boyfriend on second look it's like he is going to figure out something weird is going on and he's gonna want to leave so you need to shut your mouth that's a good point I didn't actually notice that yeah it's it's really I just thought it was her pretending I think it's both I I think you're right that makes a lot of sense I just didn't think about it like that and then she's the one who's like let's go on a walk let's get out of here when she knows that the quote-unquote bingo game is about to happen it's like she's the one that lures him out of the house she's the one that does all this stuff I also do think it's really funny that there's a line where she says like he's not like she's talking about her dad and Mm -hmm. she says like he's not gonna chase you out of the house with a shotgun and then she she chases him out of the house with a shotgun (laughs) I do love that I read in one Another thing that I saw with Jordan Peele where he was talking about it is that, like, they were like, oh, well, it's a rifle, though, that she chases him out of the house with. And he's like, yeah, but nobody says he's not going to chase you off the lawn with a rifle. Like, no one says that. So, like, if I said that, then it would be obvious that something was wrong. I think that's why I thought it was a shotgun, that not makes a rifle. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even pick up on that on the first time around at all. Or really on the second time around. Um, so they also, like, they ask him about his parents 
right when they first sit down with him. And his parents are both, or his, his dad wasn't around, his mom's dead, so again, people won't necessarily come looking for him. The only loose end is Rod. Yeah. And like, but they don't really think about that, because like, why would just some random friend be like obsessed with tracking you down? I would be obsessed with tracking you down. He's T.S. motherfucking A. <laughs> I want you to know that if you ever disappeared for an extended period of time, I would find you. So over the summer, when I went to Ireland alone, you said <laughs> that like I didn't want you to get taken. You didn't want me to get taken. I didn't and have like, a specific set of skills. No, you said I have a very specific set of skills, but I don't think any of them will help me track you down. They won't. No, no, no. They they definitely. So won't. I appreciate the. Uh, I would try. I appreciate the effort. I just I wouldn't succeed. Like I'm not TSA. I know. We don't have the same training as the police. You don't. Maybe better even. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Rod was fantastic in this movie. Oh, he was so good. Honestly, I think every actor had a really fantastic performance. There wasn't yeah. anyone who wasn't perfect. No, they were incredible. Like, I've talked a lot about how much I love Allison uh, Williams's performance in that. That's just because I think she has the most obvious. I think change. hers was just like the, like, she had the oh shit moment. Yeah. But. Watching the Oscars, the clip they played is right before he's hypnotized, mm-hmm. where he's like talking about his mom and all of that. Like that is some brilliant acting. Like, he's amazing. He a hundred like that scene alone like makes it so obvious why he actually was nominated for Best Actor. Yeah, he's great. I and didn't see a single other movie that was nominated this year. <laughs> I didn't either. Outside of outside of like uh, Logan, which is Best Adapted Screenplay, yeah. and like a couple other handful of, like the best sound effects and stuff like that. I didn't yeah. see any of the other Best Picture nominees or any of the either. other like I, Best Actor ones every year. Yeah, but so I can't. See say how his performance ranked to the others just because I didn't see any of them. I'm mad that Gary Oldman won because of a stupid fake face in that movie. No, but I thought the foreshadowing was really fantastic. Yeah, um, even like the thing like the three moves a headline where they're, when they're talking about the martial arts that's how Chris ultimately beats him in the fight at the end. Like he beats Jeremy by thinking ahead and it's obvious that Jeremy thinks that he is the superior brain and that he wants Chris's quote unquote superior body. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, like Chris is better than him and everything, so he kills him. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> there's an infinite amount more. Like there's the sad other endings where Chris goes to jail. Have you seen that one? No. So there's an alternate ending to this where it's not Rod who gets out of the car, where it is an actual police officer. And it ends with Rod visiting Chris in jail. And Rod's like, I'm going to try to, like, find something to get you off of this. And Chris is like, no, like, you're not going to. But I won because they didn't win. And like that's horrible. Yeah, I apparently didn't know they that. screened. I saw that there's a um, an alternate ending on if you buy it through Amazon, you can get that. But yeah. I did the HBO version because right. I signed up for the free trial of HBO, and so I watched it there. So I couldn't watch the alternate ending. I was curious what it was. It's really depressing. So that's the one that they originally. I guess there were three. Um, three possible endings and probably more than that. There's one that didn't even make it to being shot at all, which is Rod gets to originally, I guess it was supposed to be a gated community instead of just like a nice neighborhood, gets to the gated community, gets inside, sees Chris and is like, hey, Chris, let's get out of here. And Chris turned around and is like, I don't know who you're talking about. Like in the same yeah. like, creepy voice. They're like, no, like no, no, he's no, been. Yeah. Yeah. He's been body snatched. Um, they didn't go with that one, but they shot the ending originally where he's in jail and they showed it to test audiences and everyone was like. Can you, can you not? <laughs> and then it was like, it was like, I mean, you know, it's like, it was happening what realistically happened yeah. sad. Like, it's shitty, That's the thing, but. Though, is that, like, he's mentioned that, like, when he conceived that versus when it was actually being shot was 
I guess, when a lot of, like, the really big, like, police brutality stuff came to the surface. And I think that's what everyone automatically assumed when you yeah. see the car, is that it's like, oh, God, like, we've heard all these stories. We know about all this, like, bad shit happening in the yeah. world. It's going to happen again in this movie. Exactly. And I think it was just too heavy, um, from what they've said, that it was just too heavy for them to even deal with. I believe it. Um, and so they put in that ending where there's still kind of a nod to that. Where you, like you said, you think it's going to happen, which is why there's that tension in that scene, and then it's just a great moment of relief when it does. Yeah, um, which I think was a good. Choice I also just think oh it's really God. funny that like this whole thing ends, and Rod still thinks it's all like sex slaves. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's not wrong. That's basically what Logan wants. That's true. Rog- Logan actually has a sex slave, and somebody did straight up want to buy Chris as a sex slave. Because there's the paraplegic guy who wanted to fuck his wife. Oh, you're right. Oh, the red in the party scene. We didn't oh, talk about the red in the party scene. There's right. so much symbolism. There's an infinite amount of symbolism. There's the deer. There's the red. Um, How much time do you think he spent, like, putting together the script with, like, every single line and every... I know that, like, some movies, like, you think, like, oh, this is such a symbolic movie. This is a movie that, like, if you're not looking for it, you don't automatically see it. Yeah. It's not heavy-handed. It's really light-handed. But when you look for it, it's absolutely everywhere. I'm going to guess, since he said in his Oscars speech that he stopped and started writing this, like, 20 times, that there were a lot of drafts of this movie. Yeah. And that he just kind of sprinkled it in as time went by. But, I mean, by the end of it, it's it's incredibly rich. Because there's, the, um, there's the deer that he hits at the beginning, which then he watches die in the side of the road like his mother died on the side of the road when he gets to the house dean talks about how much he hates deer and then at the end he ends up impaling dean on a deer so there's sort of like a deer as people sort of parallel because the speech that dean the gives thing, sounds that you racist hate, um coming back to kill you i guess yeah and also i mean like honestly when you listen to dean's rant about how much he hates deer it's like i wish they were all dead because they're invading and taking all of our resources and it's oh, like that's, that's what racist people say <laughs> so yeah there's like a ton of there's like a deer theme happening happening i guess there's supposed to be a deer monster that didn't end up showing up there's supposed supposed to be be a deer monster yeah do you remember in the um in the previews for it or in the uh, trailers for it there was like a shot of like a big scary deer monster and it was supposed to be in the sunken place what? And he was going to, like, see this deer monster, and it was going to be, like, a hallucination, and then they cut okay, it. Okay, I need to watch this, because I don't remember this. I don't think I even really watch trailers. Yeah. I am so bad at watching movies <laughs> that aren't for this podcast. I have to watch trailers, because of my job. So I've, I've seen many of them. That but, makes um, a lot of sense. So there's that, and then there's the red thing, which is at the, at the party scene, every other person, basically, with a few exceptions, is wearing some combination of black, red, and white. And a lot of the women have their red in the form of lipstick, yeah. so it's not immediately obvious. Right, or it's just like like a pocket square or a tie or something really small and subtle like that. Yeah, but then what's also great that Maggie pointed out to me before is that when Logan slash Dre turns around and he's like first starts talking to Chris, he actually has a little bit of blue on because Chris is wearing blue and everyone Mm -hmm. else is wearing red in some way. And he actually has a little bit of blue on his hat and he's like, oh, maybe. And then the wife shows or girlfriend shows up and hands him something, hands him like a red napkin and he like tucks it into his pocket. Yeah. So So it's like now he actually does have the red as well. And so at first you you think it's one thing that turns out to actually be another. Right. Like there's so many layers. And again, we can't cover even probably half of what there is. No, there is so much, There's so much more. You should watch every interview that Jordan Peele has ever done. We could they're literally all talk for another hour about We're this. We're not going to. We'll save you. I mean, we hustle. will personally, but we won't on this podcast. I mean, I think we There's covered more. a lot of the good stuff in here. So that's it for Get Out. Yeah. We don't want to bog you down with another like three hours of information. So we're going to cut it here. But I mean, there's so many amazing articles. Definitely go to our website to check it out. Yeah. We actually have an official website now. Yay. 
Friday. So you can see it at Saturday the 14th podcast.com. 14th as in the numbers 14th. Check it out. You'll get to learn a little bit more about us. Do you want to say it again? Because I talked over you when you were saying it. So it's Saturday the 14th podcast.com. We're very excited. We're going to have show notes up there. We're going to have other stuff, some bios. You can see what we look like. Exactly. Um, And check out old episodes as well. So we're really excited about that. So check it out. All right. So that's going to wrap it up for us for now. What are we doing for our next episode, Maddie? We're going to do one of my favorites Scream. It's so good. Get oh some uh, blonde Drew Barrymore in there. It's got some young Skeet Ulrich. Get Ulrich? some uh, Courtney Cox. Yeah. Everybody's looking hot. Everybody's looking young. It's great. It's got that scene where he licks the fake blood off his fingers. It's been a long time since I've seen this movie. I also think of Scream 4 a lot, which is actually one of my favorites in the Scream Scream 4 is franchise. really good. Yeah. Watch Scream. If you haven't already, if you haven't. God. Get your shit together. Yeah, that movie came out like 20 years ago. It's so old and it's so iconic. Yeah. I saw it maybe two years ago for the first time. So Did you really? I think so, yeah. <laughs> Listen to us next time. Call your mom. Tell her you love her. Call someone you love. Yeah. Spread Call the love. Call a friend. Take care. See you later. We love you. Mwah.